Hey, Unchained listeners. As you know, it's hard keeping up with the fast-paced world of crypto, so we've got just the thing for you. Subscribe to our free Unchained daily newsletter at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. You'll get the latest crypto news and original articles from our reporters, as well as summaries of other happenings and bullet points, plus our meme of the day, all curated and written by our amazing team. It's still your no-hype resource for all things crypto, just in newsletter form. Sign up at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Hi, all. Before we begin, two quick announcements. First, the Unchained survey is out now, and I'd so appreciate it if you could give us your thoughts and how Unchained is doing and what we could do better. Plus, I've got some questions for you about my upcoming book launch and the articles that I'm already starting to write. Two lucky survey respondents will receive a BTC candle, which is scented with Satoshi Wood, Musk Musk, Tulip Bulbs, and Finite Minerals. Head to surveymonkey.com slash r slash unchained 2021 to fill out the survey today. Again, that's surveymonkey.com slash r slash unchained 2021. Second, I'm excited to announce that I'm now writing a Facebook bulletin newsletter, joining the likes of Malcolm Gladwell, Malala Yousafzai, and Adam Grant, among others. This is different from the daily email, which is mostly links out to news and recommended reads and a brief summary of usually one news item. The Facebook newsletter will contain news and feature articles by me. My first post is already up and out there, and every Friday you will also find the text and links to the weekly news recap at the end of every unconfirmed. Please subscribe to laurashin.bulletin.com. Again, you can sign up for my Facebook Bulletin newsletter at laurashin.bulletin.com. And now, on to the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Unconfirmed, the show that reveals how the marquee names in crypto are reacting to the week's top headlines and gets the inside scoop on what they see on the horizon. I'm your host, Laura Shin, a journalist with over two decades of experience. I started covering crypto six years ago, and as a senior editor at Forbes, was the first mainstream media reporter to cover cryptocurrency full-time. This is the September 10th, 2021 episode of Unconfirmed. The Crypto.com app pays you up to 8.5% interest on your Bitcoin. Get $25 when you download the Crypto.com app with code LAURA. The link is in the description. Looking for NFTs that are useful and fun? Try SoRare, the largest NFT-based fantasy game. You can collect, trade, and compete with officially licensed digital cards of soccer players from over 160 clubs on SoRare. That's S-O-R-A-R-E dot com. Looking for crypto market data that meets institutional standards? Digital Asset Research delivers curated and vetted crypto market data. Get crypto pricing and verified volume data, crypto asset reference data, and token and blockchain event tracking. Learn more at digitalassetresearch.com. Today's guest is Ifrat Livni, a dealbook business and policy reporter at The New York Times. Welcome, Ifrat. Hi, thanks for having me. This was a big week in crypto news, both on a global stage and here in the U.S. Let's start talking about the conflict between Coinbase and the SEC, which began with a tweet storm by Coinbase CEO Brian Armstrong and a blog post by the chief legal officer, Paul Gruel. What did they say? What did they say? They were unhappy because so Coinbase has a product that is sort of like a um, somewhat resembles a bank account and there would allow people to get a high uh, yield, like high interest on their um, deposits. And they asked the SEC for they and told the SEC they were planning to uh, like release this and the SEC said it could 
generate litigation. And Coinbase, which likes to say that it really, really wants to follow the rules, got mad and started trolling a regulatory agency online. And when you when you say trolling, you know, so what, what I mean is that they instead they did go. So Coinbase went to the SEC. They asked. They introduced their product. They asked how would the agency respond to the product. The agency said this could run afoul of securities laws. And then Coinbase's response was to go on Twitter and to post on their own blog their estimation that it was their product is not a security. And also to the um, chief executive in his Twitter thread had a lot to say about how the agency's behavior was sketchy and he had questions about the chairman. And it seemed it was arguably it was arguably trolling a regulatory agency on social media. Yeah, I w- uh, one thing I would say is um when Brian introduced his thread as uh, saying that he was going to describe sketchy behavior, he did go on to talk about how when he went to DC, he tried to talk to a number of regulators and the SEC was the only one that refused to meet with him and that when the SEC told them that they it, the agency felt that their lend product was a security that it would not give clarity into the reasoning and so I think um, that was, how, you know, what he was describing as sketchy. But let's dive into this Lend product. How is that product structured and how does that compare to traditional securities or lending products? Well, so I think there's a whole, the one of the, the questions I think right now is that it's not, nothing is, act, nothing is actually uh, finally settled and the products are new and they raise new questions. And, all of this, the, all of the law is about characterization and categorization. So on the one hand, Coinbase's argument was like, this is not at all like a security. How is lending like a security? It's like a bank account. Well, okay, you don't want to be an investment vehicle. You want to be a bank, but a bank would be highly, highly regulated. They would have a lot of different demands if, it, if Coinbase was running Right. From a regulatory perspective, there would be a lot of demands if Coinbase was running a bank in terms of like risks and guarantees and reserves and all kinds of things. And so while it is true that the SEC has not made necessarily made it very clear and a lot of this stuff is popping up relatively quickly. So and government does not operate. Rulemaking does not happen quickly by necessity and people would not be happy if it did. And so so that it. There is a space right now where I feel like there are a bunch of products that straddle lines and they haven't been characterized. And businesses sometimes advance one characterization in one context because it's useful. And so Coinbase did talk about its lend product like a like a bank account, like an account, like an account. I'm not totally sure if it would want to be talking to banking regulators instead of the SEC, you know, because it's not clear yet. It's not clear and it's not entirely clear where the, how the ecosystem will evolve and develop and who should be in charge of all these things. Yeah, I actually reached out to a few different crypto lawyers and hilariously, I got really different answers. There were some who 
uh, felt it was definitely security. There were others who felt that it was not and, or, or rather that the law was so unclear that it, that it was, it was not something that could be determined at this moment. And, um, I think the cases that they were citing was the Howie case, which most listeners of mine will know because that was what was applied during the ICO period. And, um, that has the four prongs an investment contract, um, and a common enterprise with an expectation of profits dependent on a third party. And then there was a new one uh, that I haven't heard of, but, or hadn't heard of before called Reeves, which had to do with notes. Um, and I think there, I did see another lawyer maybe bring up one other one. I didn't talk to that person. Um, but the point is like, I think, you know, <laughs> as we've been saying, it, it's not totally clear. And obviously maybe Coinbase has one set of arguments and the SEC has another. Um, so what do you think that uh, this whole, I guess, conflict says about how the SEC is going to regulate crypto lending going forward? So I think we, honestly, I just don't think we know or they know or anything knows. I mean, I'm certain that they know more than I do, yeah, about what they're going to do. But my sense from some of the statements, so there was an exchange between SEC Chair Gary Gensler and Senator Elizabeth Warren over the summer, an exchange of letters. There was like a lot of discussion about all kinds of products, including lending and borrowing. There was a call for more authority, like Gensler said, we need more authority from Congress to regulate. Now, what specifically, like what more do they need? I mean, to me, that indicates that there's a recognition that there are products or um, developments that are not currently covered under the law as it is written. And that the, to some degree, for example, the argument that Coinbase made that like these old laws don't fit or whatever, maybe they're right. Maybe the old laws don't fit. Maybe new laws have to be written. I mean, that's also one of the big debates. Like, do we fit everything into how things are? Or do new tools need new rules? I mean, so everything is unsettled. From a legal perspective, it's, to me, it strikes me as very early to make any determination. And I think Coinbase is trying to win the, um, the popular fight. <laughs> you know, like that they're making a, the argument online because otherwise, why are we going to we're not going to go around debating securities law unless yeah. they make it into a topic that we want to debate because, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And given that Gensler did ask for this extra authority um, to regulate this area, um, I do think that. Uh, you know, maybe there is merit to this idea that the law is not clear on what the lend product is. Um, but I did wonder then for this alleged behavior of the SEC that, you know, was like <laughs> what Brian called sketchy, but, you know, whatever, you know, to whatever extent it was, you know, sketchy or or whatever you want to call it, um, their refusal to meet Coinbase or whatever. What do you think that says? Like, do you think it says that perhaps the SEC is kind of working things out and just not ready to say something? Or do you think that they're, um, yeah, just waiting for more authority? Or what do you think is going on there? Well, I think there are two different views of whether, whether uh, like how to interpret whether or not uh, a government official will meet with a business person. And there is a view that the business community would no doubt take that business and government must work together and it is, you know, and that the government should open its doors to business people who want to discuss and communicate. 
Well, that's one view. There's also a view that government must have a certain dignified distance from industry in order to create rules that are because government is not just there to promote industry. It is also there to protect consumers and facilitate societies. You know, like they're not just there for the advancement of innovation. And so I, I don't actually think it's that problematic. I think there is a view of, of the SEC saying, no, we're not talking to crypto companies. That's very honorable. That doesn't mean it's not honorable to talk if you want, if they were going to engage and they do engage on specific issues, you know, that's also fine. But I don't think that the arrival of the, the chief executive from California, the first cryptocurrency company, frankly, he, some of the language in his thread showed, some of the language in Armstrong's thread showed uh, a sense of entitlement about what the government might owe that I don't know if it's shared by all Americans. I don't know that all Americans feel that the cryptocurrency industry is owed or deserves anything in particular. Should they be treated fairly? Sure. But it's, I I found it unseemly. Frank, I'm sorry to say. Brian's tweet storm, you mean? Yes, but I'm in... I'm in Washington, D.C., I, you know, so it's hard for <laughs> So obviously I, I love, like, you know what I mean? I'm awed by government. But I do, I think that there are two views, and I don't think it's necessarily problematic for the SEC to take a step and say, like, at this time, we are not necessarily engaging in this way. Okay. And just quick wrap, wrap up on this uh, before we move on to the next, next topic. What are Coinbase's options going forward? Or do you have any insight into what it'll do next? In terms of what? In terms of Lend? Yeah. Uh, so they declined to speak to me <laughs> about it. So I don't know what their uh, plans are. And I, don't, I can't imagine, I cannot imagine I can't. I will not speculate on what their plans are. Okay. Well, (laughs) in a moment, we are going to switch gears and talk about El Salvador because that was also huge news. But first, a quick word from the sponsors who make the show possible. With over 10 million users, Crypto.com is the easiest place to buy and sell over 90 cryptocurrencies. Grow your crypto with Crypto.com Earn, which pays up to 8.5% interest on your Bitcoin and 14% interest on your stablecoins. When it's time to spend your crypto, nothing beats the Crypto.com Visa card, which pays you up to 8% back instantly and gives you 100% rebates for your Netflix, Spotify, and Amazon Prime subscriptions. Download the Crypto.com app now and get $25 by using the code Laura. The link is in the description. Does your firm need rigorously vetted crypto market data that's aligned with the latest regulatory standards? Since 2017, Digital Asset Research has delivered high-quality crypto data to institutional clients like FTSE Russell and Bloomberg. Digital Asset Research offers clean crypto asset prices and verifiable volume data that's calculated from highly vetted sources, crypto asset reference data, and an events calendar that tracks token and blockchain events like hard forks, soft forks, and client and application updates. Crypto data from Digital Asset Research is available through Refinitiv or directly at digitalassetresearch.com. Back to my conversation with Efrat Livni. 
So let's turn to the other big news of the week, El Salvador and Bitcoin. Tell us what happened there. So uh, a Central American nation adopted Bitcoin as legal tender. And so that's the first country in the world to adopt Bitcoin as a currency. So they're adding Bitcoin to the dollar, which is they adopted in 2001. And it was arguably a historic day for, I mean, certainly a historic day for, for cryptocurrency, right? I mean, I would say so. <laughs> and I think it was a big, you know, what, what there were, there's a lot of debate about the, the merits of the, of the adoption and the process of adoption. But there's, I think, little question that it was a big day for Bitcoin. It was like a big event for a country to adopt this yeah, project. So talk a little bit about kind of the questions it raised or the controversy around it. What were some of those issues? So one, um, I think like we could start with the way that the, the, um, the adoption was announced. So it was announced by the president, Nayib Bukele, in a uh, Bitcoin conference. So a recorded announcement in a Bitcoin conference in Miami in English. So the people of El Salvador heard about it. Second, it was passed very quickly uh, thereafter with minimal debate. While the little bit of debate was happening in Congress, um, Bukele was on a social media chat with American Bitcoin enthusiasts. And the reason I raised that is that there is something, the project is being advanced as a project for financial inclusion and the vast majority of Salvadorans do not have bank accounts. And it is true that arguably like a mobile phone based financial system could improve the economic life of some Salvadorans. But there, there is a question about the, the way um, Bukele moved on this and also like his motivations are it's who is he wooing? Like it could be great for El Salvador, but there are reasons to be wary. And so when you say it could be great, what are some of the, I guess the pros of having adopted Bitcoin as legal tender? So arguably if you see Bitcoin, not as if you don't think about because Bitcoin is not a practical payment mechanism, right? It's it's volatile. It's like it's almost everything you don't want in a, <laughs> in a currency for for daily use. Yeah, it's and so. But if you see Bitcoin as a like a stand-in for blockchain, like let's say we talk about Bitcoin because that's what we know, but what we mean is that a whole financial system exists on the blockchain where people are able to just arguably like the lend product and things like that, where there are accounts uh, where you can borrow uh, crypto, like you can borrow money based on your crypto and you don't need the credit checks and you don't need the same interaction with institutions. Theoretically, this is, I mean, that's the promise of crypto theoretically is that it, you know, it brings billions into the financial, into a alternate financial system. So, but how did the El Salvadoran people react to the adoption of Bitcoin as legal currency? 
So it is my understanding that it was, there's, you know, I mean, there's a range there. <laughs> there's a range, surely, yeah. Um, but there, but it, there were protests. Part of the protests, I think, so the in conjunction with the protest about Bitcoin, people were also protesting the passage of a bunch of um, laws about whether, you know, how quickly you, that, that you can fire prosecutors and judges over age 60. And so that law, which is more recent than the Bitcoin law, was also passed very quickly and with minimal debate. And so I think in the eyes of people who are worried about Bukele, these actions indicate that whatever he's saying about uh, economic liberation or any other kind of liberation, he's autocratic, arguably autocratic. So there are protests they're not aimed solely at Bitcoin. In terms of the general population, I think from based on the polls of, in the national newspaper, people are not that interested. The vast majority of people said they would not want to transact in Bitcoin. Like it's something like three quarters. Yeah, yeah, I saw the same poll. So, um, yeah, one other issue was I did see some pro-Bitcoin groups in the U.S. protesting what is called Article 7 in the Salvadoran law, which says, quote, every economic agent must accept Bitcoin as payment when offered to him by whoever acquires a good or service. So was for the protest, which I know you said had it also do with this other law, but what was that part of the reason they were protesting or like what were their reasons for protesting Bitcoin? So I think the, their reasons are more general, that it's a more generalized, but there are a couple, so let's, there are a couple of problems with the, um, with the Bitcoin law from the perspective of even Bitcoin enthusiasts in the United States. And it's, so it is this mandate. Now, number one, you have a government, you have a, a payment mechanism that was designed to to operate outside the total government control of money being co-opted by a government and then mandated. And that is why the article seven thing is like, it's like a double frustration for Bitcoin fans. It's like, not only did the government take a money that was supposed to be outside of government, which, you know, you can argue whatever there are arguments either way, but they adopt this non-governmental decentralized money as money that the government recognizes and then mandates its use when it was designed for choice. And it's very problematic philosophically for Bitcoin. Like people are cheering this movement on, but the mode in which it's happening is undermining the very reason for Bitcoin's being. Yeah, it's, it's complicated, right? I mean, it's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, one of the people that I saw tweeting about that was, and he wrote a, an article on this in CoinDesk, is uh, Jerry Brito, who's the head of Coin Center, which the whole reason, you know, for Coin Center's being is to uh, advocate for uh, Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies it, here in the U.S. And so it was interesting that um, you know he really took objection to that. Um, so so actually, yeah, I spoke to him and one of the things that was really interesting was that he raised that and he says this is like sort of moral philosophical problem. But then he's he also was concerned. He's like on a practical level, like we are. What is <laughs> this is not really work yet as a payment mechanism. So that is 
you know, there, there are a lot of conflicts in Americans going abroad and advocating for things that in societies that they may or may not completely understand. Yeah, I, I mean, I did see, um, yeah, some people who happen to be there now demonstrating how they're paying for things at coffee shops and stuff using the Lightning Network. So uh, perhaps they've found the places where it's working out well. But yeah, I, so going forward, what developments or storylines are you going to be watching for in terms of, uh, you know, what happens with Bitcoin in El Salvador? So, well, there are, there are a bunch of things. I mean, price volatility, <laughs> price volatility is interesting, right? I mean, this now a country has taken on the risk of, the, you know, whatever, the same risk that investors do at a, just at a, at a totally different scale. So that's interesting. I mean, that's something to follow. I think the extent to which this works or doesn't work, we'll be watching. You know what I mean? We'll be watching. I don't think that there will be a de determination of whether it's a success or failure for quite some time. And maybe both arguments will be made simultaneously all the time, which on some level they are being made right now. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. That's um, par for the course in pretty much all corners of the world and the internet. Um, okay. Well, this has been a great discussion. Thank you so much for coming on Unconfirmed. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Bye. This one. Don't forget, next up is the weekly news recap. Stick around for This Week in Crypto after this short break. Do you love sports collectibles or fantasy sports? SoRare is blending this together to create an entirely new gaming experience powered by its community. SoRare cards are officially licensed NFTs from over 160 clubs, including Real Madrid, Paris Saint-Germain, and Liverpool, and built on Ethereum. You truly own your collectibles. They are productive gaming assets that will generate rewards if you're a good fantasy player. Join SoRare and connect with your favorite teams, live the game with passion, and earn weekly prizes. Thanks for tuning in to this week's News Recap. First headline, the SEC has begun investigating DeFi stalwart Uniswap. Uniswap Labs, the developer behind the biggest decentralized exchange, Uniswap, it's reportedly being investigated by the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission. The Wall Street Journal initially broke the news, citing sources familiar with the matter. According to the report, the SEC is probing into how investors use the trading platform, which has $6.5 billion in values locked, and how the exchange has marketed itself. The regulator has not yet issued subpoenas and is only requesting that developers voluntarily supply information. Jake Travinsky, general counsel at Compound Labs, noted that the news, quote, shouldn't worry anyone too much yet. An investigation is not an allegation of wrongdoing, it's just how the SEC gathers information. In addition to Uniswap, the SEC's Division of Enforcement has also sent letters to multiple crypto startups in an effort to start understanding the crypto lending space. That, plus the SEC's Wells notice to Coinbase about its potential lend product, could indicate the regulator is setting its sights on lending. Next headline. Bitcoin may have hit $39,000, but the bull market is still intact. After staying above $50,000 for the 48 hours prior, Bitcoin dropped 10% on Tuesday, its largest dip since May. At one point, the digital currency fell below $40,000 on the crypto exchange Huobi, marking the low point for Bitcoin across major exchanges during Tuesday morning's flash crash. Data from, the, from Coinbase shows the daily low for Bitcoin bottoming out at $42,830 
while Bitcoin plummeted down to $39,818 on Huobi. Bitcoin was far from the only crypto to experience a dip. The total cryptocurrency market cap fell to a low of $1.95 trillion Tuesday, plummeting $400 million, or 17%, between midnight and 10 a.m., according to the block's Larry Cermak. Starting at roughly 9.20 a.m., over $2.6 billion worth of leveraged positions were liquidated in just one hour, with the primary culprit being the cryptocurrency trading platform Bybit. Data from Blockware Intelligence shows that a total of $3.22 billion in long liquidations cascaded across the futures market on Tuesday, wiping out a total of $4.4 billion in Bitcoin futures open interest. Notably, Bitcoin supply held by both strong hands and short-term investors increased during the dip, and exchange inflows and outflows remained somewhat steady. Based on the on-chain numbers, blockchain analyst Will Clemente concluded, The swipeout was almost completely fueled by an over-leverage in the system. He added, Broader market dynamics have only increased. The bull market is not over. Remember, we had eight 20% plus pullbacks from March 2020 to March 2021. I don't see anything to be concerned about. Speaking of a bull market, the British banking giant Standard Chartered released a crypto report on Tuesday, revealing a very optimistic outlook for both Bitcoin and Ethereum. The bank values Bitcoin in the price range of $50,000 to $175,000 in the long term, and Ether at a range of $26,000 to $35,000. At current prices, Standard Chartered expects Bitcoin to 3x and Ether to 10x. Next headline. Ukraine becomes the latest country to legalize cryptocurrency. On Wednesday, the Ukrainian parliament passed a law that would legalize and regulate digital assets. Previously in Ukraine, cryptocurrencies existed in a legislative gray area, as it was neither legal nor forbidden to own crypto assets within the country. If signed by President Vladimir Zelensky, the law will protect crypto holders and exchange platforms from fraud. In contrast to El Salvador, which made Bitcoin legal tender, virtual assets cannot be used as payment or exchange. Instead, the bill allows crypto businesses to officially work in Ukraine and pay taxes. Next headline. Loot, bloot, more loot, and copycat oots proliferate. On August 27th, Vine co-founder Dom Hoffman dropped a 7,778-piece NFT collection of randomized adventurer gear. The NFTs, which Hoffman refers to as bags, each contain eight lines of text describing equipment or loot for a supposed adventurer. From that string of text, the idea is for developers to develop games around the loot, interpreting and including the loot characteristics however they wish. The bags were quickly snatched up and hoarded, with only 2,400 accounts getting the initial mint. At publishing time, loot's price floor is 8 Ether, over $25,000. Last Friday, for everyone who missed out on Loot 1.0, Dom dropped an additional 1.3 million bags of loot in a project the community has dubbed More Loot which is free to mint, minus the gas fees. The project has a dynamic supply, increasing in a tenth of Ethereum's block rate, allowing the Loot metaverse to expand with Ethereum if it sustains its current popularity. Shortly after Loot's successful launch, Bloot, or Based Loot, dropped a parody of the text-based NFT collection. Instead of containing items like Light's Tear, Heavy Boots of Protection, Bloot added a bit of color to its bags with items like the ERC-20 Pour Maxi Skirt of Rugging, 
<laughs> blew quickly caught on and and ranks as the seventh most popular NFT project over the past week by volume. The loot copycats did not stop there. On Saturday, two text-based NFT projects titled The Completely Pointless NFT Collection and First, a collection of 5,000 algorithmically generated satirical first-ever honorific NFTs combined to raise over 390 ETH, which is roughly $1 million, for charity, thanks to the new NFT fad. Next headline. Soul leapfrogged two crypto OGs this week. After hitting $100 less than two weeks ago, Solana's native token Sol has exploded above $200, marking an 80% gain over the past seven days. During Sol's rapid ascent, the token leapfrogged two crypto OGs, Doge and XRP, and now sits as the sixth largest coin by market capitalization. At a $60 billion market cap, Sol is approximately a $9 billion or 13% increase away from passing both USDT and BNB to move into fourth place. Tracking the top three, however, will be more difficult, as Cardano's ADA token has a $20 billion market cap advantage, while Ethereum and Bitcoin stand head and shoulders above the rest of the market at $400 billion and $850 billion, respectively. Next headline. FTX adds NFTs and Steph Curry to its ever-expanding repertoire. On Monday, FTX launched a new NFT product that allows customers to mint directly onto the exchange. According to CEO Sam Finkman fried each NFT will be cross-chain compatible with both Ethereum and Solana. For now, the NFTs can only be sold through the FTX marketplace, through a withdrawal feature, which will be live in a few weeks. FTX charges a hefty spread on its new product, taking 5% from the buyer and 5% from the seller on each sale. In related news, less than 24 hours after NBA superstar Steph Curry tweeted, just getting started in the crypto game. Y'all got any advice? FTX announced that Curry would be joining the exchange as a global ambassador. Curry will be joining other sports stars, including Tom Brady and Trevor Lawrence as FTX partners. In related exchange news, Binance US announced that Brian Schroeder, a former Ant Group and Uber exec, will take on the role of president. Next headline, MasterCard bets big on blockchain analytics. On Thursday, MasterCard announced its acquisition of CypherTrace, a blockchain analytics firm specializing in finding illicit transactions. Disclosure, CypherTrace is a previous sponsor of the show. With the purchase, MasterCard will now be able to track over 900 cryptocurrencies. In a press release, Ajay Bala, president of cyber and intelligence at MasterCard, said, quote, With the rapid growth of the digital asset ecosystem comes the need to ensure it is trusted and safe. Our aim is to build upon the complementary capabilities of MasterCard and CypherTrace to do just this. The news comes a few months after MasterCard said it would begin piloting the use of USDC as a bridge between crypto spenders and cash-loving merchants. MasterCard intends to let merchants accept crypto by year's end. Next headline. Former CFTC Commissioner Brian Quintens joins A16Z as advisor. Brian Quintens, who spent his last day as a CFTC commissioner at the end of August, is joining the crypto wing of the VC firm A16Z. During Brian's stint at the CFTC, spanning from 2017 to August 2021, he was known for being pro-crypto, advocating for a light regulatory touch on the burgeoning industry. In a blog post, Andreessen Horowitz's general partner, Katie Hahn, wrote, We are grateful that Brian is joining the team to help in our work of translating crypto for the policy community and translating policy for the crypto community. Next headline. 
The Sevens NFT drop went off with quite a few hitches. The Sevens NFT collection, a much anticipated Ethereum NFT drop, suffered a minting mishap that resulted in one user scoring 15% of the 7,000 NFTs, while the rest of the community engaged in gas fee wars. Essentially, Ethereum user OneEthShop founded a vulnerability in the Seven smart contract, allowing him to sidestep the limiter mechanism and mint 1,000 NFTs using a minor extractable value bribe. According to a blog post from the Sevens, one ETH shop spent over 500 ETH, or well above $1 million, to pull off the maneuver. However, as a fan of the project, one ETH shop has offered to return half of his NFTs to the official marketplace for the Sevens team to redistribute as they see fit. At publishing time, no decision has been made on how to distribute the recently returned NFTs. In other NFT news, this time in reference to a more successful sale, a collection of 101 Bored Ape Yacht Club NFTs sold for $24.39 million on Thursday in an auction at Sotheby's. That outperformed even the most optimistic estimates. Sotheby's also sold a collection of 101 Bored Ape Kennel NFTs for $1.835 million. All right, time for fun bits. You can walk a mile in Satoshi's shoes, thanks to Adams. Adams, a shoe company, has partnered with the Human Rights Foundation and Morgan Creek's Anthony Pompliano to release the Model 000, a Bitcoin-themed shoe. The stylish piece of footwear is almost entirely black, with only a splash of orange depicting the Bitcoin logo on the outside of the shoe and 21 million printed on the sole. The bottom of the shoe is adorned with, We are all Satoshi. According to the website, Adams started accepting BTC last year. A majority of the profits will go to the Human Rights Foundation's Bitcoin Development Fund. The sneakers are available for pre-order until September 29th. All right, thanks for tuning in. To learn more about Efrat, Coinbase's tussle with the SEC, and El Salvador's adoption of Bitcoin, be sure to check out the links in the show notes. Unconfirmed is produced by me, Laura Shin, with help from Anthony Yoon, Mark Murdoch, and Daniel Ness. Thanks for listening.